So, welcome to this very special episode of Across the Table with Rick and Robin, association with London Indie Meet. This is going to be the 200-word play fest, where we're going to try to play through as many of the 200-word RPGs as we can in the time allowed. I'm excited. Are you excited, Rob? I'm super excited. It's a very busy venue. Right, so this is going to be a whole bunch of hot takes, because that's what, that's what game journalism is these days. It's about seeing something for the first time and giving you that instant reaction. So this is it. Welcome to our hot takes. We're here with Sanchez. We just played the game Shuffles and Skeletons. Right, and we're going to do a hot take. I actually really like this. So this is one of the games in the series that's an attempt to create a more or less fully-fledged classical style role-playing game with a GM, character classes and actions. It's really suffering from the, the word count. It can do with a little more expansion. Yeah. It's using yeah. symbols. Uh, it's using its own symbols instead of um, card symbols, which makes it difficult to look up. Yeah, but it's not even using like the initials of the name of the suit. Yes, I know. It's quite. I mean, just it's use quite for heart instead of. Yes, it's quite idiosyncratic. Yeah. It's the entire presentation. I like you, you draw a, a hand of cards, so you kind of know how whether this adventure is going to be like one that's pretty messed up for you, or whether you're going to be pretty successful. The element of like trying to match the cards of you know like having your character sheet be the two cards that you initially picked is really good. The card trading mechanism, uh, I really like the idea of passing cards back and forth and having to draw them out and discard, but I think, I think it just needs a bit more, but I actually really like it, surprisingly. So Sanchez, what do you think? Again, I really enjoyed the class thing. The whole symbols made it quite difficult to work out what was going on at first, but it started to make sense after a little while. The only thing that I dislike really is the fact that you start off with a hand of cards and if you draw a bad hand you're basically screwed for the entire um, session. Yeah, so let me let me get my smaller points out of the way first. For it, it, it orders the value of the face cards. So the essence of it is that the the GM sets a challenge rating, and then you have to beat it with the, the value of your card. It doesn't say if the GM declares the value rating. We played the GM doesn't declare it. The GM doesn't declare it in the example of play in the author's notes. Um, so we, that's the way we did it. The value is the the jack has a higher value than the queen, and the which ace is a, is in the middle. So the ace has yeah. is eleven. The queen is. 12, the jack is 13 and the king is 14, which is, a, I don't know why it's been done that way. And there's a lot of spare cards as well, and it feels like, I, again, I think this is the word count coming into play, but it would be logical if the GM also drew hand of cards, because then even if a player has a bad hand, they, 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 like the GM also has a bad hand as well, and then you never, it will add more tension, and it will remove that whole thing of having to decide a difficulty. So, so the uh, I didn't understand the point of the the life cards because you've got mm. like stamina cards in your hand and then you've got life cards that you you yeah. put down, but it doesn't seem to explain apart from swapping from your life pool like why you would ever have any cards in your life pool bar bar one card yeah. that you, you you can swap through apart from the fact that you can trade that in a bonding moment you can trade yeah. cards backwards and forwards. Yeah. The other thing is that it's kind of unusual because it's actually a penalty on your active. Uh, hand, so it makes sense that if you were losing challenges, that you were affected if they represented kind of injuries. So I think it would be interesting if 
I mean, again, you can't, I don't see how you can fit it into 200 words, but if you're being forced to put things into that pile to represent adversity, but then to avoid it being completely locked out the game altogether, you can trade them across to another player. The I think that's actually quite an interesting mechanism. The other thing that we weren't sure about was the, the help action. Is it played before or after the initial person tries? Um, does the class penalty apply when you are helping somebody else? Or that, does it, yeah, or the, does class, it not? the class bonus is only written down explicitly on the action. We've assumed that it doesn't apply anywhere else, which seems to make sense, I think. And as such, it says you're quite limited by that initial card draw. Yeah. Which, if you do have a mix of... And again, if you've got very similar characters starting off, then some cards are just trash. Yes. And if you have trash in your hand, then you're just not going to do much yeah. that adventure. Yeah. If, however, you have a mix, as we had, we had a knight, knight and an alchemist, actually there was some... It, it led to good play with bonding moments and trading things, and yeah. then you can hold in order to try to draw things out yeah. of it. So a kind of like a basically a mulligan rule, like an ex yeah. in, in an expanded edition, like a mulligan rule for your initial hand and also for your initial class. The, from the GM's perspective, I mean, there really is just the expectation that the GM will set the number, and then it's not specified what else the GM does. I mean, from my, I mean, I took you know an apocalypse world approach where the G, where essentially mm -hmm. winning a challenge yeah. kind of gives you narrative control and allowed people to yeah. narrate as they wanted to. You could equally be more of a classical GM and mm. say, okay, then then I'm basically telling you everything yeah. apart and you're just telling me what your what your characters do. I think this was really good. I'd be interested in seeing a non two hundred word version of it and I could yeah. definitely see myself playing that. Hot take take take. So we've just played Build Your Own RPG, where we created a Neo-Tokyo cityscape setting with teenage geniuses who are on the run and clearing their names, which we ended up calling Super Science Academy Renegade. The, the mechanic we rolled was basically everybody gets three tokens each, and if you want to succeed in an important action, then somebody else has to spend their token for you, and there is no way of getting tokens back, and when you run out of tokens, you die. So it was a tragic Super Science Academy Renegades, where all the renegades were effectively getting rebels without a cause and going off that cliff. I mean, what, what that meant was that we both, I mean, I felt that I desperately tried to avoid engaging with the mechanics because the mechanics were so off, off genre, essentially, off the genre that we were trying to do. I mean, it was a really interesting mechanic, spending tokens to help, like, to, for other people to succeed. Mm. It's basically you only succeed where other people yeah. feel invested in what you're trying to do. So it's a classic problem of random generation. So this is essentially a random generator for a freeform game, essentially, more or less. The inspiration side of it was really good. I think that first table was really, really good. Yeah. And it's that second table, yeah. not necessarily. But absolutely, do it like a fiasco playset and give yeah. people choices. Roll the dice roll the dice to begin with, yeah. and then allow people to pick. Yeah. yeah. And then with the objectives, it was kind of interesting because they, they are group objectives, but we kind of created our characters take, so maybe varying a little bit for the individual, like deciding whether you want a group objective or whether you want character objectives, but then that slightly depends on what mechanics you're using, so that little yeah. bit, that little bit just doesn't quite work, and you know. So, I mean, it's fun, but it's... It's a fun random table yeah. for inspiration. <laughs> yeah. Hot take, take, take. Right, so we've just played Manic Pixie Dream Girl, we told a tale of... Of a boyfriend and a girlfriend, uh, which we didn't bother naming. They had one successful date where they went to the zoo and beautiful. they hung out at the, had a picnic and went and played with the monkeys, but that was it. Everything else was pretty yeah. much a failure, which is pretty much, I think it's pretty average, isn't it? One in six. 
Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we had, we had six tokens, yeah. and um, I played one back, so we had seven chances. Seven rolls total. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as a piece of satire or polemic, it works. It's obviously tremendously negative at the table. It's not a game you'll play really for any reason. No, I mean I kind of think it fits into the the realm of thought pieces, but thematically and mechanically, it's appropriate. It's obviously a critique of the moody, troubled boyfriend who's inherently interesting because they're moody and troubled. Yeah. But it is, you know, like, it, it's kind of taking taking all the things you're not meant to do in improv, putting them into a game, and then experiencing exactly all the negative <laughs> It's tough to, yeah, it's, it's tough to feel anything about, I mean, to be honest, I mean, 200 words feels too long for this game. I mean, it, right. I, I feel like there must be some, I feel there's some padding in there. You, you've got... A, a something that would really be described almost in a few sentences. I feel, I feel this game could be. Mm. Um, you, you, it's, it doesn't really build much empathy. I think. I mean, apart from, I mean, the, the the process of creating the girlfriend is you just create things that create aspects of their character, but aside which they're, which they're, which then a man makes out. Yeah. So but it's basically, basically has, about a, this, a man eroding a, this, a woman's sense of identity. Yeah, but this game, which is, I mean, the only reason to play this game is to get emotionally involved in it, is to, is, is to bleed into that character. Because not, I don't think Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's a, a successful, you know, like a empathic exercise, it's a successful I, demonstration of that experience. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would disagree because I'm, I don't, my process of creating the girlfriend didn't, didn't draw me into it, I didn't right. draw me into the character. I yeah, I mean, yeah. So it does also um, depend whether you you have empathy for those kind of that that trope of the manic dream, like the quirky girl. Is sure, really, but because it, it's not really a manic pixie dream girl. It's no, actually no. just it's just the quirky girl yeah. and bad relationships. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's literally nothing. I don't think, nothing. It, lives up, I don't think it lives up to its title. No, no, it, it, the title is inaccurate, but yeah. the relationships it models do exist so so I was only listening in but I think if you had role played the rejected dates as well that would have helped build empathy uh, because it just felt like the girlfriend was just suggesting things and there wasn't really a reason for her losing the traits like it made sense when you gained that wants to work with animals that was I that was the result of a, a successful date where yeah. we went to the zoo and therefore the, the girlfriend received a token and Richard decided that it meant that she was um, she had previously wanted to be a Broadway star and had, was now interested in working with animals. I think that was the strongest point of the game, so if we'd have played the, uh, the failed dates as well, I think that would have built the empathy that was missing. Uh, so we just played uh, Demon Dare. One round. Uh, well, yeah, one round of it. Uh, Phil got Phil got a flavour of it. Yeah. So the basic premise is everyone creates a, a character with a terrible secret, and then everyone creates a demon, and the demon dares the person to do a variety of self-destructive things until eventually the eventually they're forced to reveal their secret when a when a particular card thing when a particular card mechanic happens. So what do people think? There are a few bits that I really like. The, the game isn't working overall for me. The little formula for creating a demon is great, and the idea of having someone literally pursued by their demons to make an increasing 
presumably a series of decisions that will get increasingly unsustainable for their, their well-being uh, is good. There's a, a slightly weird thing with a card draw to resolve what happens, whereas like fundamentally if you're dead to do something and you do it, that's all the kind of resolution you need. Like um, there's a negotiating mechanism about saying what your character would need to take the action. Which was fine, I thought. Yeah, no, I, th yeah. I think that's probably all that's needed, really. Yeah. It depends what the game's trying to get it away with. I think that, that, sounds like, that sounds like your classic Polaris, but only if. Yeah, exactly. I will do this, I will accept this narration, but only if this but other only thing. if, yeah. yeah, exactly. And having a secret that you're trying to hide, rather than a hope or fear for yourself for the future, so thematically it doesn't really fit because you don't tell anyone what your secret is. Just in the last round we played I had an offer that was completely orthogonal to my secret. My demon came to me and was completely off base yeah. when it came to my secret. Was, was your demon offer anything, anything to do with your secret? No. no. So I think the secret mechanism is just wrong. Yeah. I think it probably needs to be a hope or fear that is clear, open on the table. It might be interesting if it was a secret that was open, but the character was trying to keep it quiet. But it's kind of less interesting. If you don't reveal the secret up front, then you're going to get these dares that are really nothing to do yeah, it's with like, your fine, secret. I'll do that. If you then do... it's not a secret, and it yeah. kind of like it then depends on how interesting other people find. So it's not the there secret itself. Something. It's not the secret itself that is um, drives drama. It's like the threat of it being revealed. Yeah. And the length that you're going to go to in order to keep it hidden. Yeah, exactly. But then that doesn't really match the daring mechanism. No. Do you know what I mean? The cards then go basically into a into a new deck that you create that you then draw one of them in order to ultimately resolve how how you then face whether what, whether you reveal your secret. Yeah. Well, or, or when you do reveal, yeah. your secret, reveal your secret, what happens happens about it? And if you have had good luck to that mm. point, you will continue to have good luck. Feels like there's two mechanisms going. Uh, like House of Card mechanisms, I just think they're ridiculous. It's like there's, there's been a couple in this competition. I just think they're a good idea. I think mm. the lack of an arc is intentional, though, because I think the aim is for you to mostly fail and then be dragged down by your secret. But that that might not happen, right? If you have a yeah. good series of runs, that's not going to happen. As Richard yeah. says, it's like yeah. not only do you I get away, that not only do you get away with every ludicrous thing that you've been asked to do, and it's all yeah. great, uh, but then you kill the demons as well, yeah. and you can't you can't implement like because it's a random draw at the end, like it's a random draw to generate the cards, and it's a random draw of the cards, then effectively there's no gameplay. Yeah. But I do, th I do think that mechanism could find a use elsewhere, you know, like, like the basic mechanism, draw a card to resolve an action, then throw it into a deck that uh, is going to resolve something else in the, the end game, you know, like, but having, having to maybe use the cards or something. I mean, when I read the, the premise of it, I thought this was going to be like a really mini, tight version of Sorcerer. I think that's probably the intention. But it absolutely does not deliver. Hot take, take, take. So we've just played Time to Run, uh, which was written by our very own Sanchez here. A Netrunner slash Blade Runner-esque, and we created the story of a hacker taking down, uh, sorry, a decker taking down a megacore who was involved in the making old people young again. Probably through dodgy methods. Yes, yeah. killing lots of people. <laughs> killing lots of people to provide some people with the opportunity. Is uh, well, I mean, it's just how the world works. <laughs> <laughs>
So in terms of the of the game, I mean the the one thing the one thing I'll mention first of all is that it works on a on a token system where you each play a card and then you determine which. Like whoever wins takes a token and it's best of five. Now in any kind of best of five situation you're always going to have the possibility that like just like any game of the resistance is that somebody wins in that in the first three first three action scenes. You don't have to have every single scene as being an action scene but it's, and at that point you can keep on playing and it's really kind of moving. Um, from my perspective as the as the mega call I get I get two cards at the beginning of the game and then I have I draw back up to two each time I play one, which meant that there was never really, just in terms of the game, and let's kind of leave the, the fiction aside, but just in terms of the game, there was never really much incentive for me to not play my highest card. Yeah. Because I was always going to get a new card, whereas from your perspective as the decker, you've got to choose, go, okay. Yeah, so I have a limited hand of five cards, mm. which are the only cards I'll have during the game. So you have to, have, you actually make it more of a, uh, a gameplay choice to go, okay, am I gonna go high here or am I gonna deliberately kind of let this one go and like drop off my lower cards? But because you don't know what's in my hand, again, there's no real choice. I mean, there's no, I mean, you can do it based on, you can decide, oh, I'll try to dump my low card now. But really, that's not based on anything that you think that I'm going to play because you have no information about what's in my hand. No. Well, so actually, that's not quite true because, interestingly, and it is the nature of the draw, uh, I think I had two tens in my hand, which both kind of gave me an indication. So uh, the only cards in play are the number cards. There's no face cards involved. So I knew it was fairly... Like, I was going to get two rounds. And so, really, the only thing that I had to decide was I had a low card, and ideally... I'd want to try and fish you in if you had a good card to try and get you to play like one of your remaining high cards which I know would be limited to you against my my three but interestingly like just with shuffles and skeletons because I had a hand and I kind of knew how the game was probably going to go with only one question mark which is like could I get the three to take out a much better card which would then make it more likely that my sevens or nines would Mm. would, uh, play so there is a limited knowledge aspect to it, but um, I, I think it must have been much harder as the mega call because... <laughs> well, you just, well, no, it's not harder because there's no real decision to make, because I, my, my first two cards were an ace and a four. Wow. And it's like, well, yeah. uh, am I going to play my ace? No, yeah, I'm definitely yeah. going to lose, well, I'll play my four, yeah. and then I recycle, then I pick another card, it's like, well, I'm going to play that card, yeah. and then I'm going to play that card, and yeah. there's no real element there of trying to psych you out because I don't have a limited hand and I don't know what, I, what I'm going to be drawing. Yeah, but weirdly if you have two tens that's actually a, a lot of information about what the deck is because you're only going to draw a couple of additional cards. That's so true. Prob- yeah. Probability. I was, unlikely so. to, I was unlikely to have tens. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, but I think that, I think trying to, if you're going to have like a card matching mechanic in there mm. at all is do something to it to make it an interesting choice as opposed to just well yeah otherwise you might as well say just just uh, just draw the top two cards yeah. and compare them yeah, like yeah i draw one you draw the other and compare yeah, them yeah. and use that as just a random way yeah. of re- resolving scenes so from my point of view as the decker the, the the second round like from a card mechanic point of view is the most interesting because uh, like i was playing a seven or something so a seven or a nine something that could be beaten uh, <laughs> not by my five. <laughs> not, not, not by your, by your five. And I, I was uh, kind of interested, but that was actually like a relative. Like that was the one point in the game that was tense. Like if it worked, <laughs> if it worked, then I know the rest of it is pretty solid. Yeah. Um, but that one could have like 
like my guessing about the probabilities of cards could have gone badly right. at that point. <laughs> Fortunately, it wasn't. Um, interestingly enough, for me, when I played my lowest card, it also coincided with the point that I was actually I liked most about your narration. Yeah. And so I was actually, I don't know if you were tempted sometimes if you liked what was going on to throw in a low card and go, like, I don't want to win this, this is like, this is how we should go. No, I threw my low card in at the end because I, I thought you might not have re read the rule about the aces being low. Right. And so I thought, I'll throw that in. <laughs> see the look on his face briefly as he thinks he's been beaten. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I hadn't. And so, so, like, so, yeah, so your meta game was fulfilled. Yeah, <laughs> achievement unlocked. <laughs> so, in terms of the story that we created, I mean, I think, I think it was, a, I think it was a very nice story. Mm. Uh, I think, but I think an awful lot of it was from, was generated by the players. There's not, there's not much in there apart from, are you having an action scene or are you having a color scene that was mm. really then saying. Just really inspiring you as to what to do. To me, it was like uh, a combination of two really difficult things in story gaming, which is the arch archipelago led narration, where you're essentially narrating yourself and everything around the world, combined with two player games, which are kind of like exhausting anyway, because of, like, um, it's it's quite difficult to enjoy the other person's scene because you're going like, what's my next scene? <laughs> it's like, uh, no, but, but equally, I, I, I appreciate that because I can I can do the I can do the confrontation between the the, the creepy UK goons and the only honest cop left in the precinct, right? Without. Uh, other players interfering with my narration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So, so, so it gives a real coherence to the story. Um, I think it is a little bit tricky when the two forces appear in the same scene. Like, you know, like with no, with no rules to essentially sort it out, then you are kind of falling back onto the implicit knowledge of the players. But I mean, that's that's okay. It's the two hundred word competition. Don't play a don't play a free form story structure if you you know. But I think I think the question then becomes: I mean, what is this game providing? I mean, apart from the structure of action and colour scene, players can absolutely generate satisfactory stories, like yeah. satisfactory uh, Blade Runner style stories, either, because we've yeah. seen Blade Runner and we know yeah. the genre. But then, what is what is the game bringing to it? So, I mean, the interesting thing is that we finished on the scene that you said you wanted, which was a chase, and it, and it would be interesting to take a moment out at the start of the game, similar to Archipelago, and say, like, what beats do we want to try and Absolutely. hit here? Maybe with a card draw some inspiration if you're going, like, I have no idea what I want out of the story, mm. and then kind of just give yourself a little bit of expectation about mm. what kind of things you want to introduce, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, chases, hacking... And there's definitely room uh, to talk about that relationship points. between the Megacore and the, the, the Decker, yeah. in, a, in a meta yeah, yeah. sense, yeah. as well. So, from the author's perspective, what I found really interesting was that the two of you went with a structure in which you each narrated, whereas my intention was that every scene that was an action scene was a constant to and fro between the two players. And indeed, when I playtested it, that's what happened, but primarily because that's what I was doing and therefore yeah. the other player followed suit. And I think that made the chase scene a lot harder for you, but also made it much different to any other scene. So the Decker has to go first and effectively does a lot of the world building when yeah. that's the first scene. Because the Megacorp is like an organisation versus a person, there's no 
obvious antagonists or like people to bring in from the other side. I mean, I don't know also if it's our expect different expectations around the cyberpunk genre. In Shadowrun, he'd be like kicking down doors and yes. putting uh, putting uh, flaming fireballs in people's asses like uh, from the get go, right? So yeah. it's kind of like much confrontational. When I was looking for inspiration, because obviously we had to play this pretty quickly and get it done, I was definitely thinking more Mr. Robot. There is conflict, but it's kind of um, it's low key. Yeah, and it kind of happens in parallel, right? Mm. So, like, the, the, the hacker who's, like, trying to restore the Wi-Fi connection in the hotel room three blocks away from the thing <laughs> they're hacking is a different kind of tension and, and conflict to kicking down the door and fighting dragons. You said that Netrunner was the inspiration, so was it, like, a more kind of direct paramilitary confrontational vision? It wasn't particularly meant to be. That's what I'm used to. Right. But I did fully expect and understand that some people would want to go this low-key route. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I think doing that as a to-and-fro is still going to be more rewarding. Hot take. So we've just played Fair Verona Burns, and it's actually we actually played the whole game. We created a story between two factions, the, the Piazza faction and the Gondoliers faction, and ended up with everybody dead bar two. Well, one of which was a young boy who had been sent into exile as a result of the few... Well, had, had, had run away from the city, otherwise he would be hanged himself, yes. yeah. And the other... A servant with no family left to serve. So, so. Sancho, what was your, what were your, what, what's your hot take on Fair Verona Burns? I enjoyed it. Um, I think I would have enjoyed it more if we'd have been able to take our time about it. Because at the beginning, I was a bit lost with all the characters. Taking a bit of, like, maybe a scene to introduce each one initially. But yeah, I think overall, um, I quite enjoyed it. I'd like to play it again sometime. Rob? Yeah, overall, I think this one's excellent. It's a completely well-formed game. There are, there are a few like rough edges, but and we 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 played it paced and with no kind of nuance or subtlety in um, picking things up. So we had to go pretty direct for it. It does create one of those kind of uh, Shakespearean tragedies with two feuding factions. And interestingly, we never actually like the the factions were feuding, but the the reason for their feud was not established, which I kind of think is very actually kind of interestingly thematic that after a while feuds take over. The only thing I think I'd want to change apart from making sure that uh, we see all the characters, supporting characters at the start, um, is that the dice resolution mechanism means that characters die off screen or disappear from the game off screen and I think that's less satisfying. Partly because it's not directly related to the action that's just happened and partly because actually if you invest in these characters then having a few sentences to write them out of the game was not a satisfying conclusion for them. The two factions we created, one of them was actually kind of very much like a, a good solid faction that you might see in a Shakespearean play and the other one was kind of just a random assortment of they were people rogues. with people they were with rogues of Yeah, yeah. I think they were like a valid faction but because we were kind of, we started off outside the faction so we didn't really see how they were connected. But yeah. I think deeper down they were, we just didn't really explore it. I mean, that's fair. And the deaths did appear to be quite random. Mm. Yeah. Is it, and it's, I, I think because it's, it is random. The, the dice mechanism is purely random with no kind of... There's no modifiers or build-up or modification of the role, so it's like straight a random highest wins in each conflict. One or more deaths resulting from every single scene in the in the second act. It is a 
incredible shuddering escalation <laughs> yes. of like you you've been we had the we had the first act where it was like okay well mm. we just I mean, we only saw six characters of the ten mm. in the in the first act so the the game says to only play three scenes in the first act which feels like uh, I mean it's one of these classic things where it's like the you know and unless someone's been preparing a game for a very long time, a lot of these games, when they first get released in the competition, basically have zero playtesting. They're, they're based on the theory or, yeah. you know, like a, a quick playthrough. The first act should probably end when every character has at least one passion going on yeah, to I also the, help the end game. I found the passion difficult to discern, really. And I also didn't really understand where they were where they were leading to. And when they led there, I didn't understand how to implement them properly. I think yeah. uh, slowing down that slowing down that second act, giving people time to get to know. I mean, we had one character die who never even appeared, which is fine. You know, I'm assuming he was in the book version. They didn't make it to the play adaptation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then and then working out working something better to do with these passions, like because it didn't documenting these things after the fact didn't seem to help yeah. us with our with our with the role playing at all. Yeah. It feels like the obvious thing to do is to uh, modify some of the dice interactions based on, on the passions that are going on between the characters. So lovers become more passionate over time, enemies similarly. Uh, but like this genuinely feels like a really great entry. This feels like a winner to yeah. me. And what it does, and I think the, the reason we could there is because, because of the structure it provides. Yeah. Is that this is basically, especially for a GMless game, is that this is basically a game that will take you from beginning to end, and it did do that without, to be honest, huge amount of, without a huge amount of problems on route. Also for, for the game design reference notes, so uh, the designers referencing Final Girl uh, as a design inspiration, which is a game I I love. It's a you know it's a great game, but kind of. A little bit flawed in the same way that you um, you have this kind of phase when you're creating characters, and then sometimes you just willow out. The, like very early on, you have to willow out characters that aren't interesting, so you overcreate characters and then yeah. call them back. Yeah. That being said, I don't think we, we did much creating about on the building rat catcher. No, exactly. And, and I think it's fine that the ones that survive yeah, get yeah, those yeah. additional. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a more progressive character creation approach almost. Yeah, exactly. Where they kind of deepen the relationship. Hot. Take, 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 take.